Hey, listen, guys, great to be with you. Are you, uh, are you super excited about today? It's like three people who are super excited about it. So, all right, listen, let me tell you, within the next 40 minutes or so, you are going to be excited about today because I'm kind of convinced that God wants to do some wonderful things in us in terms of lifting our gaze and inspiring us, but also preparing us for what he's going to do for the rest of the day. And so that's kind of cool, hey? Now, I recognize that I've not been here for the whole week, and I apologize for that. But so just to, uh, by way of introduction, I thought I'd show you my people. And so on the screen right now, this is my family. Hey, so this is my, yeah, uh, I know. We're, we're a cute bunch, right? I figured that the, the best way at the moment of getting my one and my three-year-old to look at the camera is to tell them to stick their tongue out of the person taking the picture. So uh, this is my wife, Philippa. And then we've got a little boy who uh, has got flame red hair. So we call him Flame Boy. He's called James. He's three. And then uh, this little miss down here is called Lexi. She's super cute. And uh, I'm so fond of them. And uh, I'm from a church in Bedford called the King's Arms, where I'm a... Uh, Thank you very much. Um, where I'm involved in a whole stack of things. I didn't realize that was you, Simon. I thought they'd be whooping from the crowd. It's all right. Uh, I'm involved in a whole stack of different things, but primarily, and one of the reasons that I'm here is that I'm very excited and passionate about sharing with people how they might communicate the good news of Jesus Christ in their world. So I kind of oversee all that we do in terms of outreach and evangelism. And uh, for me, I was right in the midst of my 20s. I was 24 years of age when I stumbled into a church. And thought that those people were absolutely balmy with their arms in the air, worshipping Jesus. And uh, the, I, I kind of started asking the biggest questions of life and went on an alpha course. Anyone been on an alpha course? Alpha rocks. And so uh, it had a huge, thank you, it had a huge impact on my life. And because of that, I love to share the message of Jesus right now. But I don't know whether you've ever seen an American football game. Anyone seen an American football game? Now, I'm not the biggest American football fan, I'll be honest with you. However, and I always knew, though, that the most important person on the American football side was the quarterback, okay? This is the person who receives the ball and then has the opportunity and the position to spray and throw that ball anywhere across the field. And he would have to do it with such power and accuracy and precision that it would land on the person who was the receiver and therefore make ground or indeed look for a touchdown, okay? Now, today, we don't just need a quarterback, Because I'm going to do my very best to throw the very best message that I can at you. What your responsibility is to open yourself up to receive what I'm going to share. Can you do that? All right. I want to pray for us to do that. What I want you to do is lift your arms high in the air. Both of them might be a better receiving position. And you've got to do this. You've got to say, Jesus, I'm open. Now say it with conviction like you actually do want to receive this ball right now. Jesus, I'm open. So Jesus, in your name, Father, we say we want to open our hearts and we want to welcome you, Lord God, to come and speak to us this day. God, come and have your way. Motivate, inspire, provoke, equip, train, release your presence here such that we might know you dearly, know you deeply. We honor your presence and say we're open right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey guys, today I want to share a bit of a message and uh, the message is going to be a little bit about what we do from here. How do we take this stuff that we've been learning and live in the fruits of it over the coming weeks and months and even years of your life? Okay, so what does a missional life look like once we've left New Day Outreach Boot Camp? And you know, my conviction right now is that I, I genuinely feel like God's doing something. Honestly, there is an openness uh, spiritually from people like I've never seen before. I heard of one story just recently of a young person who was in uh, his school. 
and he had been asked uh, in his school to do a presentation on friendship. And so he decided as he was going in and preparing for this message in his school, he was like, well, who do I speak about? How do I speak about friendship? You know, I really want to speak about the person who is my closest friend. I want to speak about a friend who sticks closer to a brother. I want to uh, speak about this friend who is incredibly forgiving and will guide me through everything. And he, he stood boldly and spoke about Jesus to his friends in a presentation in the class. And at the end of his presentation, he thought to himself, well, I guess it might make sense to invite them. Do, do they want to know this friend as well? And so courageously, at the end of his, his talk, he said, look, if you, if you want to know the friend that I've been talking about, you can just close your eyes and I, I'll lead you in a prayer to re- receive this friend. He prayed a prayer in his class. and I think there were 16 people, including the teacher, who said, actually, I want to know that friend. Isn't that incredible? It's incredible. Now, what I wanted to do today is tell you a whole bunch of stories, okay? But first, I want to root it in a story from the Bible. But I want to say up front that this is going to be a little bit of a buffet meal, okay? I don't know whether you find this in your uh, family, but sometimes we argue about where we want to go to dinner. Some people really like Chinese. There are others who really like Italian. Some people who really like to go for a Mexican and so on and so forth. But what I really enjoyed is when I first found out about the World Hot Buffet. You guys ever, ever heard of that? Now, I know some of them are a little bit dodgy and have been closed down through food poisoning and stuff. So try and ignore those ones. However, what we really liked about it was the fact that we could go there. And if you wanted to have a little bit of Mexican alongside a little bit of Italian and an awful lot of Indian, you could do that. And so some people could go and take a little bit of this. And some people like me might have a little bit of everything, okay? The point being today, as I share these different things, I'm okay if if not everything that I share is for you. You understand? I'm okay if you think, actually, for me, today, the Holy Spirit is on that particular story, that particular illustration, that particular point. But let's just be open to him doing it. And we're going to do it, guys, from a story in uh, John chapter 4. Bottom line, you know, when it comes to outreach, what we need to do is become more like Jesus, okay? He is perfect theology, and he is the one that we want to become more like. And his missional lifestyle was you know, the sort of one that we want to uh, be modeling and reflect. And so we're going to look at a story of how he engaged with a woman who was a Samaritan lady. And I'm going to do a little bit of paraphrasing through the story, but if you want to flick to John 4 in your Bibles, you're welcome to. And it starts with Jesus traveling with his disciples uh, between Judea and Galilee, and is on his way uh, through Samaria. And what happens is that he bumps into this lady at a well. So the story starts where I'm going to start it is in verse 6. And it says Jesus was tired from the journey and he sat down by the well. And it was around about noon. Now that's very important. I'll explain in a moment or two. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples by this time had gone to buy some food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew. And I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? In verse 13, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water from this well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. 
Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of living water, welling up to eternal life. Now the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have, co- have to keep coming here to draw water. Now, it's at this point that Jesus throws in this incredible, supernatural, prophetic bomb which suddenly unleashes the rest of the encounter. You see, he says, and he told her, Go, call your husband and come back. Sheepishly, she replied, I have no husband. Jesus said, you're right when you have no husband. The fact is that you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said to me is quite true. See, prophetically, he unlocked this encounter by speaking a word of knowledge to her. And so she's astonished, and she suddenly goes deeper into the encounter with Jesus. We'll pick it up at verse 25. It says, I know that the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. But Jesus then declares, I am the one speaking to you. I am he. Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to see him talking to this woman. But the woman, leaving the jar of water, the woman went back to her town and said to the people, come and see a man who knew everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and they made their way toward him. And then verse 39 finishes our story when it says this, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of this woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man is the savior of the world. One brief encounter by a well in a desert transformed the lives of an entire town. That's an incredible thing. Wouldn't it be amazing to dream about that happening in and through us and our schools and our towns and our workplaces and the places that we hang out? One encounter transforming the life of not one, but many people across that group. And because Jesus is the perfect model, what I wanted to do, therefore, is pull out of this passage a few things that some people can think, oh, that's the way we do it. It's either this or it's this. But what we can see through this story is that it's both and. Everyone say both and. All right, let's look at the first one, okay? The first one is this. We can make a plan, okay? There are times when we need to be planned in the way that we reach out to people. So my story, as I said, 24 years of age, got saved into a church, radically changed my life. Haven't got time to go into it in huge depth, other than to say, very quickly, I began to make these incredible friends within the church. I told them things about my life that I didn't tell anybody else. They believed in me, trusted in me. I became so connected with them that suddenly I realized that I was becoming more and more disconnected with the people who Jesus had called me to reach. I was kind of like caught up in a little bit of this Christian bubble of people who were brilliant and incredibly close to me, but I was no longer living out the Great Commission. I was no longer loving on people who were far from him. Now, that can be a real danger for us. Did you know that? When all of our friends, the people we spend our time with, are those people who know Jesus already, we're not actually making a meaningful attempt to do what he's asked of us. So one analogy, for example, that is used uh, in Scripture is that we should be fishing, right? Well, I don't know whether you've ever been fishing or not, but if you're fishing in a pond with no fish in it, you ain't going to get very far. So it's important for us to be intentional about where are the people and the places that I'm going to connect with 
who might not be part of a church or who are far from God right now. And so for me, I was very intentional. At one point, I decided, right, I'm going to start a football team. And the football team is simply going to reach out to people. Or at the moment, I'm part of a photography group. The sole purpose of that photography group is to take people out, tell them they're amazing, bless them with a free shoot, give them all the pictures for free, and to give, give them the opportunity of loving them, praying for them, blessing them, because they're valuable. That's it. I've, started, I've been in part of NCT groups and connected with my neighbors in different ways because I want to be around people who are far from God. I think we've got to make sure that's an intentional part of our lifestyle. Let me show you a friend of mine. This picture up here is a friend of mine called Alan. Now, I know he's got hair, so you might not recognize him, but the guy right in the middle there, that's me, okay? At this point, I was 23 years of age, okay? So this was the summer before I became a Christian. This was in a holiday in Magaluf. I was the wild child who was heavy drinking and going crazy. And the guy immediately to my right uh, is a guy called Alan. And I've known Alan there for, for around about 12 or 13 years. In fact, more than that, because I knew him through university. So maybe sort of even 15, 16 years of my life. He's been a good friend of my time. But I've been intentional about loving him right the way through my journey. And um, just uh, in the last few years, he'd had a real tough time. What I didn't know was that he and his wife had had two very late miscarriages, right up until the kind of 20, 21st week of them kind of carrying their child. And honestly, they were both very scared about it, both very cautious. And... Um, really kind of anxious. And so he started to, to say to me, hey, Steve, I'm, I'm having this tough time. Would you, would you pray? And I was like, dude, yeah, I'll, I'll pray. And right the way through their third pregnancy, he would kind of send me updates as to how they're getting on. And, and you know, we, we would creep past the 18-week mark and get past the 22-week mark. And, you know, there were different times when actually it was very difficult. She was in and out of hospital. And regularly, I would be praying for them. Right until, up until around about the 35, 36-week point, where um, I got a phone call from Alan being like, hey, the waters are broken. We're in the hospital. We don't quite know what to do. And he said, Steve, I feel like such a fraud. But do you think I can pray? And I said to him, dude, God loves you so much. He hears every single word, whether it's to him or not. You can pray, and I'm going to pray right now. You know, the following day, this happened. This is baby Teddy. And... um, Baby Teddy was born, and he's healthy, and he's strong. And uh, this was actually on one of the photo shoots that kind of we did for him. And, you know, he's not a Christian yet. But what I do know is that he's got an openness and an acceptance and, and a, had an encounter with God simply through the fact that I was faithful in praying for him and was able to bless him in doing things like this. The question I want you to think about is where are your places? Okay? If you really like playing marbles, okay, Play marbles with people who aren't Christians, okay? If you really like reading books, start reading books with people who aren't Christians. If you love motorbikes or fishing, whatever your thing is, why don't you do that for the glory of God? To get your life rubbing shoulders with people who aren't Christians. But what's important is this, okay? Now, this week, you've been on several outreach afternoons. That's brilliant. That's planned. That's intentional. But I want, my heart is that actually God would save us from just only doing outreach afternoons. Honestly, because your whole life is to be a life which connects with and is an outreach for God, okay? This Samaritan lady, her, her celebrating and sharing about Jesus actually wasn't something that was planned. She was so excited about the fact that he had changed the life. She kind of goes back into town saying, wow, come and see this. This is incredible. Look at this guy who's told me everything that I've ever done. Sometimes we also need to in the moment, be listening out to God. You know, this happened to me on uh, Wednesday. 
I was up in Harrogate at a conference, and um, we'd, we'd, we'd kind of hear, hearing great sessions and brilliant teaching and inspirational talks, uh, stories from around the world. And that afternoon, I go for a run. So I'm jogging through this park in Harrogate, and I run past a couple of people who are walking, one of which has got a, a, a stick. So it's fairly obvious that she's blind, and that there's a, someone who's walking her alongside her. And I run past this, this lady, this couple, and um, Honestly, my, in my mind, I'm like, oh, wow, there's a, there's a blind person there. Um, I've just been hearing about blind people getting healed. Maybe I should pray. I, I'm running. This probably isn't a great time. So I carry on running. I run up the park, and I run kind of back down, the, kind of way over the other side. And I see the same pair of people sat uh, on, on a bench together. And I'm, I, I say at the same time, God, that's the second time you've shown me them blind lady, man, I've just been hearing about people who have been healed of, of, of blindness. What do I do? Honestly, I was just freaking out a little bit. I, I was just like, I, I don't know how I'm going to do that. I, I don't know how I would make the approach. I've never seen anyone get healed of blindness before. I'm going to just keep running and, and, and hope that he forgives me. And so I, I keep going. And I felt so bad about it. And I, so I literally, I said to God, God, if I, if I see them again, I will pray. I, I, I refuse to make that same mistake again. But by this point, I'd run maybe a mile or so further. And I was uh, outside. I'd been for a shower. I'd come down the stairs. I was waiting for my wife. Just as my wife arrived and we were about to go back off to the conference, even though, it's, say, by this point, maybe a mile or so past where I met them, who walks up the street? This very same couple. I'm like, God, I can't do it again. So, so I'm like, all right, third time. I've got to do it. So I went up to them and said, hey, I know this is real strange. I know this is, I know this is uh, kind of unusual, but I've seen you three times now, and I just wanted to apologize because the very first time I saw you, I really wanted to come and say, hey, say, it must be really tough, you know, being in your situation. And, and I'm actually a, a Christian. I would love to pray for you. And she and I kind of chatted maybe 15, 20 minutes. I had the opportunity of praying for her. I prayed for her eyes to be healed. <laughs> you know, it was kind of weird because, you know, I could, as I'm looking at her, I can see just the solid white balls of her eyes. And I speak healing over her eyes and put a hand on her shoulder. And she says, oh, this is, this is so lovely. It's not worked yet, though, has it? I'm like, awkward. Um, and you know what? She wasn't healed. She wasn't healed. There was nothing, nothing that changed. But I honestly celebrate the fact that, one, God spoke. Two, I have got absolutely no doubt that she was blessed by that chat. No doubt. She said time and time again, I'm so grateful that you stopped. I'm so grateful that you chat. Not every time that we pray for someone, you know, right now, they get healed. But I'm going to celebrate the fact that I want to listen, tune into the Holy Spirit at any point in my life such that I would respond to him. Does that make sense? Here's the thing that got me, you know. I really want to see blind people healed. But I'm never going to do that unless I pray for blind people. And that means it's at times going to be a little bit awkward. I've got to get to the point where I'm going to push through my own insecurity to have the confidence to say, I'm going to give this a go. I'm never going to see deaf people healed unless I pray for someone who's deaf. Sometimes we've got to have those kind of conversations. And there's no shortcuts in these courageous moments, by the way. Even this afternoon, there's no shortcuts being courageous. But if you're courageous for three seconds, three seconds, that actually is your opportunity to, to really go for it. And if you're wondering where to start, look around the room and look out for the person who looks like they're sitting on their own or lonely. Because often it's the Holy Spirit that wants to bring them comfort. <clears throat> Two questions from that first point, all right? Where are your regular planned times? Where are they? Where are your intentional points? And then, are you open to God? All right, next thing, okay? We need to be both 
connecting with people in practical as well as supernatural ways. You know, Jesus is this incredible model. He is compassionate. He's uh, wonderfully gracious. He's so good at loving people. He was so good at serving people. He washed the disciples' feet. He cooked breakfast for people. And you see him connecting in a very practical way over a well and water with this lady in Samaria. I don't know if you've ever heard of this very famous quote by a guy called Francis Assisi. He says, go throughout the world preaching the gospel and use words if you have to. Now, that, in one respect, you know, the quote is nonsense because we do have to use words. Biblically, it's right that we use words. However, his point isn't don't use words, I think, but actually your lifestyle should speak that Jesus has done different in your life. It should. Your life should be different because of the fact that you know Jesus. And so we can practically serve people. We can practically care for people. I've got one friend of mine called Matt, who went out recently and was mowing his lawn. And he saw the neighbor's lawn. He thought it looked horrendous. So he decided, well, while I'm doing mine, I might as well do the neighbor's lawn. So quite off his own back, he kind of mowed, mowed the lawn and kind of went back in, packed away. Anyway, a few weeks later, he met the neighbor. And the neighbor just said, oh, the strangest thing happened the other day. Someone randomly mowed my lawn. He said, oh, yeah, it was just me. I was just trying to be kind. I was doing mine. I thought I'd do yours as well. And he said, wow. He said, I thought it was an angel who did it. I thought, you know what, all he's doing there, he's putting legs on his faith. I've got another friend of mine who decided because he moved into a new house that he and his son would have a load of fun. And all they did is they went knocking on the doors saying, hey, you know, we've just moved into number 22 or whatever it was. And he's like, we're here, we've got a pressure washer, we'd love to clean your bins. Is that all right? People were like, what? Sure, you can clean our bins. Why on earth would you do that? He's like, ah, well, do you know what? We, 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 we love Jesus. He, was, he served. We want to serve other people. What an amazing way of tangibly putting legs on their faith. It's a demonstration of kindness. There was one commentator that I read recently who said this, If I have no love for others, no desire to serve others, and I'm only concerned about my needs, I should question whether Christ is really in my life. A saved heart is one that wants to serve stings a bit, doesn't it? A saved heart is one that wants to serve others. How are we practically doing it? Okay, So it's both practical and it's supernatural. Supernatural. One of the things that we've been doing this week is talking to you about things like the word of knowledge and the prophetic and praying for healing and looking for opportunities to, to speak supernaturally into miraculous situations. This also should be part of our regular diet and day-to-day lives. I was out um, not long ago in, in Bedford, and I came across a girl who was obviously in pain in her knee. And uh, so I, I kind of approached her, her and her boyfriend. And uh, I said, hey, look, you, you're obviously hobbling. Uh, kind of what's going on in the knee? And it transpired that she was about to have an operation to remove her kneecap and then to do some like, work behind it. And uh, she was in a huge amount of pain. She was about to have this, this operation. She was limping heavily. So I said to her, hey, look, is, is there any chance that I could just you know, take a minute? We'll sit you down on the, on the wall just here. We'll pray for your knee. So we sat down, we kind of pray, prayed for her knee, and then uh, she, she started to move it a little bit. She said, oh, I think it's, a, think it's a bit better, and then we kind of prayed again. And then at this point is when she turns the air blue, right? So she's like, effing heck, this is, I'm not effing kidding, this is effing no longer any pain. And so she's like shouting, swearing, going a little bit crazy. But the boyfriend, he's very skeptical. All right, and so uh, he's like, "You're not just just nonsense, isn't it? Is that serious?" And she's she's like walking around, swinging her knee around. She's got no more pain than me. And so we said to him, "Hey, is there any way that we could pray for you?" And he's like, "I don't really want anyone to pray for me. This is all a bit weird." 
So instead, we said, well, how about, look, I've got a friend of mine here. How about we ask God if he wants to say anything to you specifically? And he uh, looks at me again slightly suspiciously, but he says, all right, fine. So he's standing there, we're standing there, and we're like, Jesus, please speak. And honestly, I can't remember what we said. The one thing that stands out was that at one point, he took a huge step back and he said, how do you know that and what else do you know? Which I thought was a cool thing for him to say. Anyway, that I thought was the end of the story. However, around about six months later, maybe even nine months later, I bumped into him again. And I was like, hey, how is your girlfriend doing? And how are you? I think we prayed together before. And he says, yeah, yeah, no, she, she's fine. Knee was better. Praise God. It's always nice. And, um, excuse me. And um, uh, then he said to me, do you remember what you said on that day? And I said, like, honestly, I was like, I, I don't know. I was slightly worried that he was going to say I'd say something weird. But he said to me, he said to me, partway through what you were saying, you said to me that I would get knocked down, but I would get back up again. I was like, okay, I mean, maybe, I don't remember saying that. Anyway, he said the following week, he was hit head-on by the X5 bus. This is a huge bus that goes between um, Milton Keynes and uh, Cambridge. And uh, he, he had been on the street, and he got hit by this bus, stumbled out into the road, knocked over, got straight back up again. And I was like... Uh, all right, it sounds like God could have been on that thing. I was like, what, what do you think of that? He's like, yeah, yeah, I think, I think I probably knew, knew what he was saying. It's like, just astonishing. I would love to tell you that I led this guy to Jesus. I didn't. And, and I don't even know where he's at now. What I do know is that something of the kingdom arrived at that time because God spoke to him. We need to be supernatural in the way that we live. You ready for number three? We're doing all right? All right, number three is that we need to reach people like us and who are not like us, okay? This is a both and, not an either or. A question for you to consider would be this. Do the people around you know that you are a Christian? Do they know that you're a Christian? Do they know what that means to you? Can they see something, smell something? Is there something about you in the way that you live your life and the morals that you hold to which is attractive? It should be. It should be. Christ in you should be the most attractive thing about you. Now, I'm not saying being weird, actually, because no one likes people being weird, but people around you should know that you speak about even a joy because joy is attractive. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. We should be joyous people. And so knowing him changes things in the way that our demeanor and our passion and that is exciting for people to follow. What I would say with friends, particularly if you're meeting people new, is mention spiritual things early. Okay, It's actually very difficult when you've known people a long time to start trying to drop in. But if you do it early and make it normal and natural. So I was with a friend of mine at one point. It was a group of us actually. And uh, his name was Ollie. Ollie's a short guy, tattooed up to the nines, all the way down his arms. And he used to drive this really fast, loud kind of car, okay? And um, he, on this particular occasion we were together, he kind of drove up, but he wasn't in his normal car. In fact, it was in this kind of very small, kind of old car. And he comes out cursing, spitting. He's like, I cannot believe uh, it. And I was like, dude, dude, what's wrong? Settle down. Anyway, what transpired is that he'd lost his car keys, had been late to meet me because of the fact that he had to drive his mum's car to where we were. And he's like, I can't find my car keys. I was like, hey, dude, how about, how about I pray that you would find your car keys? Is that cool? He's a complete non-Christian. 
And uh, uh, he was like, yeah, all right. And so I just pray a very simple prayer. Hey, Jesus, would you show Ollie where his car keys are? Okay. Now, what was interesting was that another guy with us, also a non-Christian, a guy called Marcus. And Marcus at that point was like, ah, Steve, you know, it's interesting that you're still doing this stuff. And the other, the other day, I was in a, in a hotel. I was laying down in the hotel. I opened the drawer and there was a Bible. He's like, I thought I'd have a read of it. And one day, I'm going to read the whole thing and I'm going to come and talk to you about it. Do you know, he's doing that simply because of the fact that he knows I'm a Christian. What was kind of fun is that about half an hour later, in fact, maybe it was a little bit later, like, so later that evening, I got a message from Ollie being like, oh, yeah, you know, I got back and then I found the keys straight away. I was like, come on. But it's normal, you know? And it's everyday part of our lives. And every one of you can do that, by the way. Every one of you knows people who are going to lose keys or they're going to feel anxious about an exam or they're going to really worry about, hey, where am I going to get the money to buy that new Adidas trainer? You know? Hey, I'd love to bless you in the midst of that. Can I pray for you? So we've reached people who are like us. We also need to reach people who are not like us. Listen to what the theologian Winnie the Pooh said. You can't stay in your corner of the forest waiting for people to come to you. You have to go to them sometimes. If Winnie the Pooh can say that, I'm sure it's true of us as well. You know, I think it's important, actually, in the same way Jesus did. Now, in this story, Jesus goes out of his way. He went at noontime. I don't know whether you ever saw that. But the point of it being noon is in a very hot country, no one would ever go and get water in the middle of the day. It would always be at the end of the day or the beginning of the day when it's cool because they've got to carry a huge amount of weight on their shoulders. He went at the middle of the day. Now, most likely this would suggest that what we know then to be true after that, because of the fact that this woman is someone who, uh, in lots of aspects, is someone who is uh, morally fallen. She's had numerous husbands. She's with another. We know that most people would want to keep her very much at arm's length. So he goes to the middle of the day. He's reaching out to someone who's not like him. Not only that, but you might have missed it, but it's not normally the case that people from who have a Jewish background would even connect with Samaritans. So he's going out of his way to reach someone who is not like him and demonstrate God's love. You know, recently, this is an amazing encounter. He might have even told you about this on Wednesday, but it's almost worth repeating if he did. Steph was out on the streets, and he went up to two lads, around about 18 years of age. He was just kind of connecting with them, and uh, this is his story, but he, he basically said, oh, hey, lads, how you doing? And then one piped up and said, ah, oh, well, he's doing amazingly. He's just lost his virginity. Steph's so like, oh, uh, okay. I mean, what? Okay. Well, he says it's his, it's his 18th birthday, and I've just paid 30 pounds for him to have 20 minutes with a prostitute in Bedford. And, you know, the story, like, breaks me a little bit because I think it's so desperately sad that it's happening in my town. And I think these guys are so very precious, so different from me in so many ways, but such that they would feel like they need to be so, they want to pursue satisfaction in that kind of way. But then I look at the life of Jesus I think about the woman who was caught in adultery about to get stoned or this Samaritan lady who's got such a horrendous background and think that is where Jesus is to meet them. And, you know, after a brief conversation and sharing with these guys the joy of knowing Jesus, Steph led these guys to Christ on the streets. It's quite an astonishing thing. That's where I want to be. 
Jesus was a friend of sinners. Jesus was someone who looked after and went after those who were far from him. That's who I am. The question is, are we willing to reach the poor, the disenfranchised, those who are lost and far from God? I've got one more, both and, okay? Doing all right? We, need to, we are going to see both fruit now and we're going to see fruit later. Okay? Jesus saw incredibly this lady's life get fl- flipped around in just a few verses. You can go and chew over this story if you want to. Sometimes that's not the case. In fact, most of the uh, illustrations, the analogies for evangelism biblically uh, are things which are more like a process. So Jesus spoke about the kingdom outbreak taking time, like it's fishing or sowing or farming or searching for lost items or yeast moving through bread. What's important, actually, is your faithfulness. Some of you guys have been out this week and you have um, you know, just sowed a seed there. That seed might not germinate and it might not come to fruition, actually, for maybe even several weeks. Let me flip onto the next slide. There's a picture. Okay, so this is me in Thailand, all right? I'm 19 years of age. I'm the guy kind of at the back, second to the right, and alongside me to the right is a friend of mine called Chris. I've known him for a number of years. And when I first got saved, when I first got saved, I gave him a book. I said to him, look, dude, you've got to read this book. And uh, the book was by a guy called Lee Strobel. It was called The Case for Faith. It's a great book. And uh, I, I simply gave it him thinking, hey, maybe God would kind of use that. I'd completely forgotten about it. And I haven't seen Chris for something like seven years. Okay? He phoned me up in February. And he phoned me uh, with a quite a shaky voice. And he said, Steve, have you got a minute? Can we chat? And uh, he said to me that his mum had been in a car accident. Last month, she'd been in this big wreck. She'd been in a coma for that whole month. And last week, she died. And he said, Steve, she was an evangelical Christian. I know you are. I see your Facebook posts. I've heard you tell the stories. And he said, at the start of when she first went into the coma, when she first had the accident, I saw on my shelf the case for faith. I went and got that story. And I started reading it. And it's, it's, it's through reading that book that actually kept me going through this last month. And he said, Steve, I, I want to know what it is to give your life to God. Can, can, you, can you talk to me about it? Seven years I hadn't seen him. Twelve years ago I gave him the book. But you know, God sometimes just takes a seed and then allows it to grow over a period of time. Let's not, let's not get upset by the seeds, okay? Sometimes it takes time. God knows we're being faithful with what we are right now. Let me tell you a story about fruit now, though. Because just like this lady, God is doing something in our day. And it's my heart that this afternoon, when we go out, actually we would see people radically changed today. This is a story from uh, just last month, or it might have, been, might have been June. But a friend of mine who also does work out on the street, a guy called Scott, he tells a story about a guy he's met. And uh, his name is Neil. He's just had a really radical encounter. Listen to what he says. About four months ago, I met Neil's wife, Janet. I shared with her about Jesus, and she filled up with tears and uh, said, I can't do this, and she started to run away. But he ran after her, gave her a hug, and prayed for her. Janet and her daughter stood in the street, and they opened their hearts to Jesus. Very cool. Then I followed up with her, went to her house, and Neil stood in the doorstep. He became instantly aggressive, shouting, swearing, and making threats. And Janet had to physically restrain him and take him inside to calm down. But this week, 
Jesus, uh, sorry, Neil invited me to his house for a brew. He said that he felt bad about his actions, but as soon as he arrived, I don't want to know anything about this God stuff. Don't preach at me, lad. However, as I was leaving, I invited him to a meeting, and surprisingly, he accepted my invitation to come along. Toward the end of that night, during our prayer and worship time, Neil shouted, Okay, I feel strange. And he told the group how he'd been feeling this intense pins and needles through his body for the last 20 minutes. He said he tried to fight it, and it went away initially, and then it came back stronger, and he couldn't fight it anymore. He stood, and we prayed for him. He couldn't deny it was Jesus, and he wanted to open his heart to him. It was a very moving and emotional evening for all of us as we watched the Holy Spirit soften Neil's heart before his very eyes and bring him home into the Father's arm. Neil hit the ground running, so much so that within a couple of weeks, Neil asked me if he could come onto the streets with me to learn how to tell others about Jesus. Neil was a man who was diagnosed by psychiatrists as having an emotionally unstable personality disorder. He once was a football hooligan, who headed up three organized football gangs whose sole purpose it was to arrange these uh, rendezvous for other football firms to fight one another. Neil's past consisted of alcoholism, womanizing. He even attempted suicide on two occasions, narrowly escaping death when he tried to throw himself under a train and he was pulled to safety just seconds before it hit him. And the latest update was that the week before I got this story, he had led nine people to Christ. God is doing something. God is doing something. We need to be planned and spontaneous, guys. Practical as well as spiritual. We need to reach people who are like us as well as not like us. And we need to recognize that sometimes the fruit will be later, sometimes it will be now. But actually, we want to be trusting God and obedient to Him. I just want to land by just saying this, okay? And then Jazz, I think, and uh, Simon might get up and lead us in some ministry. Martin Luther said that the secret of Christianity is Christianity in secret. And we can't save anybody, but we can partner with God as he does. Part of our responsibility in that is to pray, okay? See, every one of us has been called to engage in prayer for those people who are lost. One of my favorite all-time quotes is by a guy called Sidlow Baxter. He says this, Men may spurn our appeals, reject our message, oppose our arguments, and despise our persons, but they are helpless against our prayers. I'll tell you one final story, okay? When I started that football team, it was around about 2006. It was solely to reach people. And uh, I used to walk up and down the football field before games, just praying for the guys praying that God would touch them, praying that God would love them. And I wouldn't, I'm not going to say to you I did it every week. I'm not even going to say to you I was especially faithful in it, but I prayed. I sent them birthday cards, and I invited them to things. And we had a number of things that, that kind of happened. And there was one particular lad called Rowan, heavy, smoking, uh, bit of a druggy lifestyle and a bit of a wreck, good, fast football player. I remember one occasion when he kind of came up to me just before a game by the side of the football field, so a number of years ago, and um, he, he said to me, I said, Steve, I'm struggling to breathe a little bit. I've got a problem with my chest. Would you pray for me? I'm like, dude, yeah, I mean, great. I'd be happy to. I kind of laid my hands on his, on his chest and, you know, I kind of prayed a brick prayer. And he was like, oh, yep, that's better. And he ran off. And I'm like, all right, all right, yeah, great. I, I, <laughs> how did that even happen? Anyway, last year, quite out of the blue, Rowan rocked up to an alpha course I was leading. 
I was like, man, okay, this is, this is, this is great. Great to see you. I haven't seen you for a number of years. And um, he, he came along, and he was in a real tough time. He'd, he'd broken up with his partner. His two kids were living with her and not with him. His life was in a bit of a mess. And uh, he did the course, and he became a Christian. He responded to Jesus, and he and I, he and I would uh, kind of connect a little bit, and we were going for runs together at the time. And on one of these runs, he, he said to me, Steve, I know that God's done something in my heart because I saw something on Facebook about his ex-partner being with somebody else. And immediately, I, I wanted to pick up my phone and just throw my phone at the wall. But instead, I decided to put it down and go and read my Bible. And I'm honestly, guys, I'm like, I'm running with him, and I'm trying to hold back my tears because for the best part of 10 years, I've been praying for them and asking that God would do something. And I'm like, do you know what? It's worth it. It's worth it. I don't care how long it takes. That's the most significant thing that could ever happen to his life. He's actually back together with his partner now. And Philippa and I have, have kind of started to arrange to hook up with them and, and you know, try and work, work through with them a bit on the relationship. But I'm going to stop speaking and I'm going to allow for a moment you to put some legs on this for you, okay? And the other thing I'm going to ask you to do, and these guys are going to lead you to do it, is to make a commitment with me for you to pray. You've been given some cards, which I want to invite you to write the names in a few moments, write the names of three people that you know in your circle. It could be family, it could be friends. It could be people in your workplace or your school. People who you know that every single week you could make a commitment to pray that they would come to know Jesus, okay? And if you put that card next to your light switch or next to your mirror in your bedroom or in your Bible or somewhere that's going to remind you every single week, I'm going to pray for these guys. And then next, week, next year, you can run up to me and you can tell me all the amazing stories of what happened through this last year as God broke in and moved in their lives.